Luca? 10 more hours. 50 episodes. Oh my God. Be honest. When we were planning out that first episode, what were your odds on reaching 50? Um, I don't think I consciously thought about it. Mm. Um, but I would say my odds of us still doing this three years after is like so low. I think <laughs> it would have been maybe we do towards the end of uni if we're yeah. lucky. But the fact that it's now a semi-job as well to me. Yeah, hasn't quite sunk in. Um, you want to go through that story? Where did mm. this podcast come from? Yeah. Paint the I, picture. You might remember this better than I do. I have like two origin stories that I would like pitch. One of them is uh, Zamalzurium. <laughs> yeah. When I think I, I we were 16 or so, uh -huh. I think I wanted to do a, like a podcast talking about just like random like bits on the internet. And I remember we were in my house, like doing like the logo design. You yeah, me, like, I remember that on the logo design and stuff. That. And that was when I bought my first podcast mic, which I then like just did not use mm -hmm. for four years, I guess, until then um, in the summer. So this podcast was just justifying the sunk cost. Yeah, literally. Of old <laughs> paying off. Good. What was, yeah, at that point, like I was 16, spent 200 quid on a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then how, how how did hear this idea come about? Wait, before we talk about that, the word Zemmelzerium I really like. I mm. think most people don't know. What does it mean? Right. Yeah. Sorry to hit with jargon. Zemmelzerium is a German word, which means a hodgepodge of things. Mm. I think it's like the closest language I can think of. There's this like book my dad had, which is called like Zemmelzerium, which is just a book of facts. Yeah. And some of it are like really boring facts of like, here is how you convert a kilogram into like different measurements. Or this is how much like animals weigh or the distance between like capital cities and stuff. And it was just like a little like pocketbook filled with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, oh, that is a like, good name for a podcast about like a random collection of stuff. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Makes me think of the word abacadarium. What does that mean? Can you guess what it means? No, I, I want to say like abracadabra, like kind of magic collection. Mm. It is, I think, when you like write out the alphabet from A to Z, Mm. as a way of like testing out a font or something. Um, that's an abacadarium. What a word. Oh, okay. Like literally a word for... Writing out the alphabet. Anyway, how did the podcast begin? <laughs> so here's a story I tell people when they ask, which is something like, we were at university together. Mm. We were both podcast nerds and nerds in the more general sense. Mm. I think I remember having this conversation. We're like in a pub sometime and we like had this mutual realization that we were surrounded by people we really wanted to chat to, like academic types. And we wanted to devise an excuse to talk to them. And what better excuse than to, you know, offer to interview them about their work. And it felt a bit weird to like become the kind of people who did that because it feels a bit, I don't know, what's the word, posery or out yeah, of reach. But yeah. we can at least pretend to be those people, right? Initially. <laughs> so, you know, bought some um, some of the kind of equipment and sent out some, some emails. Mm. And then it just turns out that people really appreciate being asked to talk about their work. Mm. And it doesn't happen very very often if you're an academic. So I know I, I was really impressed by the number of yeses we got yeah. super early on. Yeah, I think that's still like one of the biggest takeaways. It, it is weird how keen people are to speak to people. Um, and if you throw in like a mic or something, I don't know like how much that increases the odds like versus just cold emailing people yeah but i'm still surprised that people want to like speak to us yeah uh, or like especially back then um mm -hmm. yeah yeah i want to say early on we like 
we got by on the fact that it's like a bit bit kind of awkward to ask how many listeners someone has if they ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we we were happy, you know, we had the kind of like ten listener per episode, yeah, for a few episodes, yeah, yeah. but still, people said yes. And then once we had some impressive people, then we could bootstrap from that, right? Mm, because you can look yeah. at past episodes. Yeah, that is a funny thing. I think definitely if we go back, like early like emails we sent out to guests, like seeing how we justified statistics of like, yeah, we have maybe I don't know <laughs> a potential audience. In the millions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> our audience has grown by fifty percent yeah, yeah, over yeah, yeah. the last yeah. Because Too now nice. it's both our mums rather than just <laughs> my mum. Um, actually, that'd be 100%. <laughs> um, okay, so what happened next? So we, we did this at uni. Yeah. Did a bunch of in-person episodes. Yes, yeah. It was just in-person episodes yeah, for yeah, like yeah, the yeah. first, uh, like, I guess, half year or so. Then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And we kind of were discovering effective altruism. Yeah, uh, like EA about the same and time. the pandemic hit. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the two big waves. Yeah. And then um, we applied to the effective altruism fund mm-hmm. for a grant to keep doing this podcast with the idea being that we could maybe explore some more EA themes. And then that kind of turned, at least for me, into like a part-time gig during yeah. the pandemic that I could like read things, write things, interview people with like a bit more of a purpose. And then, yeah, kind of like went on from from there. Yeah, that was pretty crazy when that came through. And I was like, wow, we have have like a reason to like take this seriously or at least a bit more seriously. Yeah, yeah. I was really surprised by that. But yeah, so it kind of shifted into like, huh, we're doing this now. Also, we have a bit more of like a, a reason to do it, which is we're both getting into this thing called effective altruism. Yeah. And then actually, I think especially as well, because it, in some ways it was the pandemic, I think A, a lot more people just had like time on their hands and you, everything was remote. So then it wasn't yeah. just interviewing people from our university or like kind of our friendship circles. Like we could reach out to anyone and email anyone. Yeah. Uh, it's that combination of captive audience yeah. and much less <laughs> excuse guests. to say no. <laughs> captive guests. Exactly. Yeah. You want to talk about favorite, favorite moments? Yeah. Especially favorite from those moments early from the episodes. Uh, do you want to start off with, uh, with the first one? Okay, here's one. One of the really early ones was with a uh, neuroscientist called Kent Berridge. Um, that was in person in Cambridge. And this guy has just so many interesting things to say, especially about the science of addiction. Mm. The, the story that stood out from that episode is when Kent was explaining how he did these experiments on rats to learn about addiction. And in particular, there was this technique that apparently people use. I think it's called optogenetics or something. And I'll I'll misremember this, but there's this kind of crazy Rube Goldberg series of steps where firstly you splice in some gene to these rats to make certain cells like sensitive to light. And then skimming a few steps, you I think you effectively kind of take a fiber optic cable and like put into the rat's brain and into a very precise part of the rat's brain mm-hmm. such that you can stimulate it by like shining a laser into a rat's brain. And then you can, exper- you can learn about the effects of just stimulating that part of the brain in certain contexts. And like you learn a lot of really interesting things. And that was wild. I mean, <laughs> animal ethics issues being put to one side. It's just like extraordinary. Yeah. I think the Kent Burridge episode is definitely like one of the best like cocktail episodes of like, that's still one of the things I would like 
go back to if I need like facts at a at a cocktail mm. party or something. I think there was also the one about um, like I think this was from that episode, like veteran, uh, like Vietnam veterans and addiction, mm. and like how it was just very surprising that like. Um, I think that because there was like a lot of like um, opium like usage and stuff there and there was a big worry that when all these veterans come back to the US that they will like bring with them um, like the addiction stuff but like for at least a large chunk of like veterans the like rapid like switching context from like different environment different routines different like social circles of like going uh, you know coming back from war back home just made like addiction um, a lot less of a problem because it's like very behavioral uh, dependent or like very um, yeah like context dependent context dependent that's it yeah yeah, I learned a lot from that. Mm. Any others from the early ones? Yeah, I mean, like, going all the way back to episode number one, mm-hmm. Victoria Bateman, I think, like, OG. still, uh, yeah, like, I, like, reminisce a lot about. She was my um, economic history supervisor at university, mm-hmm. and her, like, supervisions in general were just, like, fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. she was, like, so good and, like, such an enthralling um uh, like lecturer or like kind of speaker that I was like really excited to interview her and I remember that episode just felt exactly like the supervision I had in first year yeah. like almost like word for word it was like the exact same and I think it was a good like kind of entryway thing where I think as a host or like as the one asking the questions it was like super comforting because I kind of already knew what all the answers were going to be mm-hmm. that it felt like a lot less daunting yeah. um, and it's like still really fun like I still think economic history and like industrial revolution is like one of the topics I think I still want to like explore the most um, yeah, yeah. but I think that was like a good like kind of like quick fire like overview yeah that was a great one nice yeah one last early episode that stands out is that one with dan williams um about political misinformation and signaling and self-signaling and self-delusion that was just like such a kind of information dump you know it's like Mm. processing so much at the same time as trying to ask questions and i um i still remember so many little facts from that episode that kind of still bounce around my head and i find useful um, yeah, just for yeah. thinking about like explaining certain kinds of political beliefs. Not not to undermine the point you made there. <laughs> wow, okay. Was that the one with like the kneeling chair as well? Do you remember? <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the the chair where like one of I can't I think it was you. It was either you or it was Dan was like on their knees for like the whole time because it was like more <laughs> yeah, that might be right. for your back or something. That might also been the one when it was really hot. It was maybe exactly like three summers ago. Yeah. And I I think we're all just sweating uncontrollably. <laughs> we're like, we need to, we need to wrap this up so we can cool down. But also, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, for many reasons, that was a good one. What, what about more recent episodes? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what have been your favorites? Yeah, I mean, um, the obvious answer is Anders mm. as a as the maybe the lowest effort, <laughs> highest quality <laughs> episode we've done. That ratio, Anders nails. I remember. We were walking down to that interview room and he was already telling us about some facts he was learning that day. And then once we're setting up, he was still telling us about this like mind-blowing <laughs> space facts. And there was no real start to the interview. We just kind of pressed record and like, yeah, yeah. and we just sat back and then three and a half hours later, we were done. Yeah, and there was one moment in that interview, which I'm sure you remember, which was, we must have been like two hours-ish into that interview and it was going so well. Um, but I was kind of aware that we were like heading into into lunch and wanted to be kind of cognizant of Anders' time. So pause the interview. And I think, um, you know, I said to Anders something like, Anders, I realize um, we're kind of heading into lunch. If you want to wrap up now, that's like totally understandable. You want to be kind of, you know, conscious of, of, of time here. And Anders goes, 
the interesting thing about time <laughs> and loaded it into this kind of fascinating like uh, chunk of interview and then we go for like an hour plus after that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so good no easy easy in some ways it's like the complete opposite of the Victoria Bateman episode where the Victoria one was like really nice because I knew exactly what she was going to say mm. so like asking questions and uh, questions and stuff felt like really low effort whereas with the Anders one we had no idea what he was going to say. So asking <laughs> questions felt really low effort because there right. was no point. Right, right, right. Like trying to, trying to add structure to the episode. Yep. One of my favorite most recent moments was you arguing with Glenn Weil about effective altruism and like mm -hmm. religion and stuff. I think that was like definitely one of those moments as well where I went from like co-host just to like listener where I think you two had like a really good like vibe and like kind of like debate style argument. That was like really great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that one. Um, I wonder if we should try arguing more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll maybe talk about that later on, right? With um, things we want to like do more and stuff. But I think that was like definitely a wake up moment for me. Where like, ah, oh, like yeah, like we can totally um, yeah just argue with people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, sometimes you know, being confrontational just doesn't generate interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it does i think it depends on the guests yeah. it's, just, it's just really quite fun i think often with like me it feels like oh i would be down to argue if i feel like i could make a good like interesting argument or something there's definitely like a way where i feel like too self-conscious about it sometimes um and then i guess it's like this other thing where, like sometimes you want to like make sure that the guest's ideas or like mm. whatever is portrayed in the best like light totally. and either you have like a fundamental disagreement in which case i think it's like interesting to like explore and like um, just like see where the argument goes but sometimes as well I, I notice where like the guest says something like 90% of their argument is about like something completely else mm -hmm. and then there's like a 10% that you can get like caught up on and like yeah. spend an hour discussing or something but like their main like most valuable idea is like in the other 90% um, yeah 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 I remember um, Rob Wiblin has this uh, doc with just a list of things he's learned about how to do interviews yeah. well which I think at least I have a lot to learn from still. But one of those bullet points that I really remember is if you are speaking to a guest with a very different worldview from your own, then um, it's often best just to be very charitable and to, in some sense, make space for that worldview, even if, even if you disagree with certain parts of it, just yeah. so you can kind of um, hear all the details and get it fleshed out and in some sense inhabit that worldview for some time rather than constantly pushing up against it because then often you get like a much right, less interesting yeah. you don't really get to kind of explore what that person yeah person thinks right yeah well we were talking about a bit about that right with like the doin farmer episode where he mentioned uh right like not believing like ai existential risk yeah. or something and that could have definitely taken i mean we were kind of like time pressured there anyway because we only yeah. had maybe 10 more minutes to go but like we could have spent those last 10 minutes like arguing about that yeah. but i didn't feel at least like in a moment or something that, that was like even a core part of his worldview or something totally, it was more yeah. like a quip or something and then there's this question of like do you want to like you know take that down as like the most important thing to spend the rest of the time on or do you want to like move on to like some other stuff and that's difficult to know in the moment cool any other more recent memories yeah well um the the spencer work one was really funny at the end right where we were asking one of the like normal closing questions we always have is like mm -hmm. asking guests to to recommend research they'd like to see in the world so that like i think a lot of our listeners do research or are, like um students or or maybe thinking about going to academia or um like think tanky world <laughs> and spencer after having i guess done like two hours of talking about like climate change just goes there isn't enough time to do research we need to take action now which yeah. i thought was like 
also came out of nowhere for me where I thought like all we were kind of talking yeah, about in the two hours was cerebral, this, like, guess. Yeah. incredible story about how research, right, and the scientific <laughs> method built on itself uh, uh, 60 or so years. Yeah, and then I like that. Goes, no, we need like action now. I think it was like a nice like wake up call. Um, yeah. And yeah, like- He made an allowance for researching how to change people's minds yes. more effectively. Yeah, action relevant research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Yeah. One last thing for me. Maybe the best life story we've had mm. so far is uh, Isabel Bermaki. Um, maybe the only nuclear power influencer, <laughs> TikTok influencer in the world. Um, and just such a cool, such a cool story. Um, yeah, like born in Brazil, became a fashion model, started learning and getting really into climate issues, just like independently learning a huge amount about like nuclear power also independently just seeing this opportunity to like advocate for this cause it seems really neglected and they're just doing it and nailing it and being like as an example of just forging your own like path and just smashing it it's just so cool um yeah i love that and introduced us to the um like twitter nuclear scene i think mm. like a little bit as well i don't know how it was for you but um it was definitely like a few months afterwards where I think all the DMs I got on Twitter were just from people asking for more like nuclear guests or asking yeah, about, yeah, like, yeah. about this nuclear that. thing. But yeah, like yeah. definitely tapped, tapped onto something. It was funny. Yeah, do you want to talk a bit about behind the scenes stories? Yeah. Things that might not be in episodes, but that made us laugh, cry, laugh. <laughs> yeah, the blood, sweat and tears, it goes into this. Um, all right, where to begin? I remember emailing Peter Singer mm. and receiving a thoughtful warm response in something like 10 minutes which was just ridiculous um yeah that was like one of those moments where it was like either this person just checked their email mm -hmm. or they're just on the email all the time mm -hmm. it's one of the one of the two i think he's just incredibly conscientious i've just mm -hmm. heard this from so many people that um if he can help people out he just kind of leaps to do it yeah, yeah. um <laughs> the drowning child but in email <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly good um marcus daniel yes so maybe this got mentioned in the podcast when we spoke to marcus he was playing in some sort of tournament was it the australian it was the australian open, open. yeah yeah and it's also during covid indeed mid pandemic and so you got a quarantine before you play so he was in his hotel room quarantining how do you train when you're in a small box as a tennis player? Well, you put a mattress up against your wall and you hit tennis balls against it. So he, I remember he, he showed us his training mattress. And there's this detail as well that some other players that he was going to play the next week or something, for various reasons, had managed to dodge this quarantine yeah, requirement. Yeah, private jets or something. Interesting. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he could see them out of his hotel room <laughs> <laughs> warming up on the full court. We got to travel for two episodes. One was taking a taxi from uh, like Oxford, where we're based, to like a little town, maybe 20 yeah. minutes out from Oxford. We made the big time then. <laughs> yeah, to, to interview Brian Kaplan. But I remember that was like so exciting to me of like, we are, we have to hear this idea taxi. We oh, can yeah. put it on the, on the corporate tab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. And that was opulent. Yeah. And, and then like, um, 
maybe like more uh, like distance traveled there, um, flying to Texas to to see mm. Jason Crawford. I've never been to Texas before, and it was like also to attend like a bigger conference. Yeah, or yeah. I like but... the idea of keeping up with the mystique, but we in fact <laughs> went all the way to Texas to interview one person. Um, but yeah, that was no. awesome. That was, really, that was really great. Yeah, and that that was like a funny a funny setup there as well. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, I guess, concrete examples of impacts uh, we've had on a more serious <laughs> note. One thing that comes to mind is Phil Trammell, right? We interview Phil, great interview, but I'm sure he won't mind us saying the audio quality left something to be desired, um, which led Phil to buying a really nice new microphone. <laughs> so I think that's a real, a real clear win. Oh yeah, one, one last one was Tom Moynihan. Um, I can't remember how we found Tom in the first place, but I remember that first interview, there was just so much to talk about. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we ran out of time. I just basically had to book another one. So it was our first two-parter episode, and then we put that out. And I think that, in fact, led to ATK getting Tom on their show. Yeah, it's also yeah. an awesome episode. Um, so, man, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Moynihan fan now. Yeah, that's that was definitely one of my like favorite episodes. Yeah, there's also this like behind the scenes running gag. Um, that like almost for every episode, like one tech thing goes wrong. Mm -hmm. We can maybe mm -hmm. revisit the, the worst ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is true. And also what it means is if nothing goes wrong for the majority of the interview, that is an especially worrying sign because yeah. it means something is very likely to go wrong right at the end. It's the worst time you want it to go wrong. Um, okay, what were the worst things? The thing that sticks out in my head is the um, Jeff Sachs episode. Yeah. So that was a nail biter. Big dog. This is like, you know, the real deal. Quite a busy a, man. He is a busy man. You could say that. Um, I think it's fair to say we were both, both like a little nervous for that interview because it was, you know, we only had an hour, and um, it's Jeffrey Sachs. And I think it went pretty well. And then we get to the end. Jeffrey Sachs has a meeting immediately afterwards. So we say, say thanks very much. He says thanks, closes his browser tab, and we get this message on the uh, screen of the software we're using saying, uh, you know, audio from Jeffrey Sachs fails to upload. <laughs> Please try again. And I remember just looking at each other like, did we just lose all of that? <laughs> and we had to email him, right, to get back onto yeah. Pinecast. Uh, and then he had to like manually, like I think, like click stop or like re-upload or whatever. Yeah. I think there was like an email back and forth to, to get that audio done. Yeah, it was dangling in the balance for about five Yeah, that was, that was really heart-stopping minutes. Definitely my worst audio mess up was, uh, fun fact, the entire Mike Hinge episode is me uh, mentioning re-recorded answers. Because uh, I can't even remember what I'm wrong. I think maybe my mic didn't plug in or there was like some like file mm -hmm. corruption or something. But the entire audio was gone. And I think I re-recorded every response and I think it took two or three hours and there's like this like really weird thing I mean Finn will like know what, what it's like but like for listeners like re-recording like spontaneous like audio or whatever is like really weird to do where you're kind of just like yeah. acting for yourself or something where you're like hmm that is an interesting question and then you have to like do the if whole someone walks in when stuff. you're doing that you just look it's psychopathic so yeah, yeah but yeah the Mike Hinge one was definitely for me yeah. I think like so there was this like, madness. transcribing thing where I first like listened through all my like responses and wrote it down on like uh, like a word software and then tried to like record it bit by bit and then edit it in back bit by bit yeah but yeah that was that was a mad one <laughs>
back when we asked, I think for our first like listener survey, where we asked like for feedback and stuff. <laughs> uh, one of the bits of feedback we got is that our accents were too similar. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've had that at least like three or four times at this point. Yeah, that people what are unable to differentiate. How do we fix this? Yeah, just two polite British boys. Yep, receive pronunciation. <laughs> What's wrong with it? I mean, you know, we could brainstorm accents. One yep. of us kids. Yeah. I mean, fun behind the scenes fact I'm actually from Germany. So I can yeah. do uh, hello. <laughs> Maybe you could speak entirely in German. Entirely German yeah. Bilingual podcast. Yeah. Okay. That's unfixable. Okay, speaking of mistakes, what do you think we did wrong? What do you think we're still doing wrong? Yeah. Well, the one thing I want to say first is not hiring an editor soon enough. I think uh, I remember Michael Ed telling us that Mm -hmm. we should apply to EA Funds to hire an editor because it would save us a bunch of time as we were like yeah. still doing research and like FHI work and stuff. And we very stubbornly said no. Yeah. Um, and I think that went on for like a good three Many to months. six months. Yeah. Uh, and then we finally hired Jason and he's doing like such a great job and it saved us so much like time. Um, yeah. Like far yeah. better job than we, than we would have, have done. done. Yeah. And saving time. That was so dumb. I agree. What was going through our heads? I think it was, at least for me, some feeling of weirdness about the idea that we yeah. could save time by like hiring someone that feels like, oh, suddenly you're like big shot now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think it was also like the startup cost, which I think was mm-hmm. like fair, but not worth it, where um, hiring somebody is like a whole process that we hadn't like done before. We needed to put our job application. We needed to interview yeah. people. We did yeah, work yeah, trials yeah. like that did take time. And obviously, it's, I think it's already paid it back mm-hmm. um, like easily. And now I can't imagine uh, going yeah. back to us editing episodes. But yeah. um, that, I think I remember was like a big like yeah. ick for me. Yeah. Are we still making that mistake? Any more highs yeah. we're making? That's true. That's a good question. I think, I don't know. Um, it's hard. I mean, we can think about this, right? It's like, what goes into an episode? It's like us researching. Yeah. It's like us emailing guests. Yeah. It's us talking. And then it's editing. It's eventually outsourced everything, including the talking. (laughs) I think the research thing is interesting. Where like, yeah, probably episodes might be better if we had like a research assistant who like helped us like read over or like find interviews and like books and articles to read. But I also still enjoy that like the most uh, myself, right? Like in some ways, I still think of the podcast as like a reading commitment device. Yeah, extremely Um, elaborate vehicle to feel guilty about not reading something. Yeah. Um, I agree. But what else? Social media type things? Yeah, uploading not episodes doing and stuff still. Um, yeah. We started with transcripts, right? And, and yep. Claudia. Um, That's great. But there's definitely like more we can do there. Also just trying out new things. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, I agree. Yeah. I wonder if things like illustrators could work. Yeah. Oh, maybe video stuff. Oh, yeah. We Couple of never did that, right? Yeah. But like actually doing video episodes would be yeah. good. Yeah. So there's video episodes. There's also things like taking audio and making cool little oh, videos like, out of them. Like we had clips. that for a bit, right? For like trailers yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was so bad at that. It took way too long. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uploading to the YouTube channel is weirdly like much more complicated than uploading to like Spotify or yeah. iTunes, which you can all do yeah. like centrally. Yeah. Anyway, watch this space. Maybe there's yeah. maybe mm-hmm. there's more to be mm-hmm. done here. Yeah. Other, um, other, other mistakes? Okay, in general, I feel like at least I still have a whole lot to learn about how to ask questions well. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so hard. <laughs> right. And why is it hard? 
I think one thing is that I ramble. If I have a question which could be summarized in one short sentence, I'll like do a little run up to the to the question with a few sentences. Then I'll ask the question. Then I'll caveat the question to be clear on what I'm asking. Then I'll kind of like apologize for asking it wrong. And then I'll check that they're clear on the question. Um, and there's some sandwich there where all you need is the filling. And it's surprisingly hard to yeah. uh, kind of make yourself do that, right? Yeah. Uh, I definitely have um, like ums and ahs way too mm -hmm. much in my question. This is probably the most common like feedback I get from listeners still. Yeah. Uh, but there is like a useful thing, I think, in like having edited episodes at least once is mm. you become so aware of like your own verbal tics because oh, you yeah, have to it's edit really them out. <laughs> um, I definitely know that like audio waveform of like my ums and ahs, I don't need to listen to it. I could just like see them yeah. uh, like popping up and stuff now. This is something very interesting from the first few times we, I guess, listened back to our episodes and read the transcripts. Yeah, yeah. You realize just what a kind of a wreck you are like if you turn your speech into text, it's barely comprehensible. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. at least you know all these kind of ums and ahs and other disfluencies. They're just kind of like peppered in this just mess of words. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think you know it's possible to to get better, but it's hard, right? It is really hard. Yeah. Um, what else on the kind of asking questions better? We we touched on it like a bit before, but I think like feeling brave enough to like challenge guests enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a balance, but I think like, yeah. yeah, we should like uh, more towards. I really, yeah, like liked how you like challenge Glenn Wild on like some of the EA stuff. And yeah. I wish we did more of that. There's this like partly like confidence thing to it, but also this partly thing of like knowing whether your disagreement here or something is like interesting enough to yeah. take up the like space. I think one of the main like, takeaways I think I've had as well is like don't be afraid to ask dumb questions and like applying that mm. to like real yeah, life yeah, and stuff yeah, as yeah. well is like um it's nice to do on the podcast because you have an excuse right which is like yeah. oh like you know it's like for listeners like clarity or something as well but I think it's just like transferred to like real life it's like I find it really hard to like still yeah. remember or like just understand like literally understand the argument that like somebody's making and if it's like not clear like ask um mm. and that's like useful yeah. to transfer. I think that's something I've learned I guess I've learned saying things back as a way to both Try summarizing yeah. something and just check you're not missing something really obvious. Um, so you're kind of exposing yourself to a bit of embarrassment where the guest is like, no, what are you talking about? Yeah. But for the most part, I found that very useful. Do you think it's harder for us to like either like challenge guests or like have more of our own like views and stuff expressed on the podcast because we're co-hosting it as opposed to like hosting it by ourselves? Mm. I'm going to say no, I don't feel super uncomfortable. Yeah. Unless it's like really controversial. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's like it makes the podcast better. Um, I think there's something nice in like having the like safety of like knowing the other person can swoop in or something. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. If like you don't have a good follow up or something. Yeah. Um, but I think there's sometimes yeah, yeah, this yeah. thing where like I don't know if I want to like take up space or time talking uh -huh. if you have like maybe a better question. And that's like a hard like coordination problem sometimes mm -hmm. of like um, how important or like how valuable do I think my comment is versus what Finn would counterfactually yeah. ask. Yeah. Um, especially in interviews which have like closed time, open-ended interviews where we have like two, three unlimited hours scheduled or something, it feels like fine, like the Anders episode. Um, but things like the Jeffrey Sachs or like Dawn Farmer or like, I guess often uh, guests with like kind of limited time, it's like tricky. There's another thing here as well though, which is like, when do you interrupt the guest? Yeah. Too, right? right. It's like the same thing of like, how valuable is it them keep talking about something versus you asking the question, the next question to like move on? And how do you do that politely <laughs> is, is tricky. Right. Yeah. One 
thing I find difficult is um, sectioning off some headspace for thinking about when to interrupt, thinking about what question to ask next, wondering whether um, I should give you some space to ask more questions. Yeah. And then the space I have left to actually track what the guest is talking about kind of shrinks and often that becomes quite difficult when I realize I'm not fully present in this, yeah. this thing. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's something you can get better better at with time. Yeah. Another thing I've learned in general is just some questions are better than other questions. Um, so here's an example of a bad question, in my opinion, mm. often. Um, so tell us, how did you get into economics? Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's like, how, that's a big question. It's also kind of a little yeah. imprecise. There's, yeah. In my head, like, there would have been, like, the, like, very generic, like, interview answer. I would yeah, have, like, given out, like, exactly. oh, I've wanted to study economics yeah, ever yeah, since yeah. I was 14. <laughs> since I read Freakonomics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think are features of good questions? Like, the best, the questions to get the best answers, what do yeah. they have in common? So I generally think, yeah, I think I think we have slightly different like styles in like preparing for interviews. But I think like one thing that I feel like very comfortable in is like if I really understand their work, um, mm -hmm. it is like yep. a lot easier to a ask questions that I think like get them to summarize things effectively. Um, yep. Of like here are, like the core ideas and like here's like the questions to like get at there. Yeah, and then it makes it easier like in my mind at least to like toy with or like connect like with other questions. Mm. Um, but I think like summarizing like work is like hard, but it's like a lot easier to ask somebody at least in the beginning to like get the listener up to speed and stuff on things mm. you can ask them to like explain a specific context rather than like to explain a whole paper yeah. um yeah i think that's like one one lesson i think i've like learned from that yeah and i guess framing things as trying to get to the root of a problem so you set things up like here are these kind of facts that we know and there's something to be explained here right it's like a kind of detective mystery and yeah. now for the rest of the episode, or at least for the rest of the chunk of this episode, yeah. we're going to look for some clues and eventually reach some kind of conclusion. Yeah. And so there's like something that motivates the conversation versus, huh, this stuff seems interesting. Yeah, yeah. The failure mode of that is like you get too structured yes. uh, and then it becomes like too rigid or like too laid out or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sometimes I don't think is a bad thing. I think we've like done some good episodes that are like basically just that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think it's like useful. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should be clear. So there is a a kind of episode, and we've done a few of them, where at least implicitly there's some intention for the finished product to be a fairly useful potted introduction to some topic. Yeah. Where we're covering a lot of the important grounds, we're summarizing things, hopefully decently. Yeah. Um, and if someone's coming into this topic for the first time and they just want something to get exposed to it, maybe this is like a good place to go. Mm. And hopefully that's, you know, like a useful thing to put out into the world. That's the tough stuff because like you said, you've got to yeah, yeah. actually figure out what points to cover. You've got to make it sound kind of conversational and coherent, not like you're reading through a Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then some some questions are not like that. They're more just like fun or exploratory. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, another thing that comes to mind on mistakes is like launching into an interview with all the tough questions first, without mm. setting any of the, the context or establishing any kind of rapport. Yeah. I can think of a couple episodes where I did that. And then it's kind of like a weird vibe where really what you want to do is just, you know, establish that we're kind of all on the same team. We're like, yeah. Do you want to curious about this feels? All right. All right. Um, <laughs> since you asked, I think this happened with Luke Freeman. Right. Okay. Where 
Luke's such a lovely, right. nice guy. Right, of course. <laughs> He's like possibly the best person for this to happen to, right? Because he handled it so well. Yeah. But I vaguely remember kind of launching into, you know, what do you think about this critique of, um, you know, this kind of naive conception of effective giving or... Yeah, yeah. And it's like, whoa, nice to meet you too. You know, let me yeah, kind of really yeah. pitch what I'm about first. Um, and obviously it, it turned out fine. But I can imagine that going south if it wasn't someone as affable as yeah. Luke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's a really good point. Oh, another thing on asking questions is trying not to read questions out loud verbatim because I feel like you can tell annoyingly. Yeah, yeah. Like and the best version is you bullet point the content you want to ask about, but you say it like a normal person rather than you're reading out. Yeah, yeah. And that like I think that's like actually way more obvious. Like listening back, like mm. hearing yeah. uh, whether somebody's like reading out or not. Like I think people can definitely tell that. Also just like focusing is really hard. Like yeah. that was something I think I've learned is that like um, often it just feels well, you're just like listening to somebody else speak and then you're like chipping in questions and stuff. Yeah, but, like yeah. just staying alert for like two hours mm. or something is really hard. Mm -hmm. I think would maybe posit the claim that's harder than like talking for two hours. Yes. In, in some ways. Of course it is. Right? Um, yeah. No, I totally get that. And I have, I've been known to drift off <laughs> to like, <laughs> to start thinking about what's for dinner and then realizing I'm in the middle of an yeah. interview. Like it's really. And it's, Definitely easy to do when interviews are remote <laughs> and mm. probably us having like being co-hosts and knowing that the other person might be able to cover yeah, you if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Daydream creates a moral hazard. hazard. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Maybe I could try rounding off this chunk by um, sharing some advice from people we've mentioned who are significantly more experienced at this than we are. This is advice that at least feels really useful to me. So here are some, some tips from... Tyler Cowen, that stood out to me. So one is highly specific questions are better on average. Another is it's often better to preface a question with a confession of some sort or with information from yourself. Uh, that sets a standard for the respondent. Set that standard high. I'm not sure we've tried doing that before. No, that's a really good idea, actually. Write that down. Yeah. Um, and third one from Tyler is with any possible question, ask yourself in advance can the person being asked the question respond too easily in a vague and not very useful way? Yeah, yeah. So, Politicians answer. Bad question. Why did you write a book about Napoleon? Well, let me tell you, French history always fascinated me, etc. If that is the kind of slop you might get back in response, try making the question more pointed or more specific. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's still good a bit of advice that I could... Uh... Yeah. And I should plug, right, that you have on your blog, finmorehouse.com, um, a bunch of like advice written up, right? For starting a podcast, including conducting interviews, which I think has like links to that Tyler Count post and some yes. other stuff too. Yep, that's right. And for the sake of completeness, I'll uh, I'll throw in some tips from the one and only Rob Wiblin of the ADK podcast, which I found useful. So here's one. Uh, explain in the first minute why anyone would care about this interview. I guess we try to do that. Uh, another is, it's important to be willing to push back on specific arguments. I guess we were just talking about that. Yeah, I definitely don't do that nearly enough. Yeah, sincere and informed disagreement is among the most engaging things to listen to. Um, and uh, last one, listeners love specific data or numbers. Mm. Yep. Cannot they disagree. Love Cannot specific disagree. data. Yeah, I definitely think there's... um. This thing I want to say as well about like advice for like if you're on a podcast and like you're a guest mm. or something as well yeah, is yeah. I think you can easily fall into the same trap of like being way too scripted 
wanting yeah. to have like planned ahead for each answer, having a really like strict like um, like structure or mm. something of like how how you want to respond to things. And it like all, I think almost always like ends up being um, like less good. I think there's definitely something yeah. linking to what we said before, where like it's useful to do some of the like grunt like foundation like knowledge, get the listener up to speed stuff at the yeah. beginning. That's like sometimes more structured, but um, I think some degree of spontaneity is always better because it's also yeah, more yeah, natural. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, you're just kind of giving a speech yeah. um, rather than like having a conversation, um, which almost always like is worse. And then I think there's something as well of like podcasts, uh, like an easy interview like mode in some ways because you can like re-record answers or like mm. edit like post-fact and stuff as well, but like not stressing out about that too much and then mm -hmm. using that too often as an excuse to re-record every answer. Yeah. Um, and sometimes just leaving some of the imperfections is fine. I think especially after having hired, I think, like, Jason, now having somebody else doing the editing rather than allowing myself to, like, edit every small response and stuff, I think I felt a lot more comfortable making mistakes. Yeah. And I think totally, that's probably for totally. better, even if it's, like, annoying in the moment of, like, knowing that that brain fart is going to stay. stay yeah. Uh, I, I was really neurotic about the idea that people might know that I sometimes say like and um and what they would <laughs> say. I remember reading somewhere that, you know, the Eric Andre show? Mm, yeah, yeah. The way he gets all these, like, authentic reactions from the guests is that they record those, you know, sub 60 second bits over the course of like two and a half, three hours. <laughs> so they push past the point by which the guests can possibly maintain, you know, yeah, yeah, some yeah. kind of composure and finally break them so that they're <laughs> finally authentic. I'm just wondering, maybe we should we should do that. We should just break Two, the guests over three the course hours. of hours. <laughs> right. And then get to the interview. I mean, 80,000 hours does that a little mm. bit, right? With like, think of like having just such long like, yeah. interviews and stuff, right? Yeah. Probably is in part in like breaking down that barrier. Maybe not in the same way. <laughs> I will say there's probably yeah. some difference. Yeah. I, there's a meta lesson I want to like flag as well, which yeah. is like, I think, and this is like, yeah, somewhat of like EA culture at the moment or something is like very much emphasizing like agentiness. And I mm -hmm. often find that like hard to like relate to my personal life. But I think the podcast is probably like the one way mm -hmm. in which I think I've like learned a little bit of agentiness is like you can just start like small projects or like hobbies and then gradually over time they will like grow on themselves. Um, and I think the yeah. podcast was like probably the first like real initiative I took where I started something from scratch. Um, rather than like something within an existing organization mm -hmm. or something um, spun out of an existing organization. And I think that is like in large part, like kudos to you. I think you were like way more creative, um, like younger, like making films and uh, like your little projects like that. But yeah, I'm really happy I had this like kind of onboarding experience to that. And I think after having done it once, it's a lot easier to imagine or just know that you can do it again um, yeah. because you're allowed to, right? Yeah, rather I like than, that. You um, are in fact allowed to do these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the idea of, Starting something which maybe could end up being, you know, scaled in some way, but you don't need to focus on that. Mm. You can just realize it and then focus on the next three episodes and really just acing them. Yeah. And then if that goes well, okay, then you can start thinking about the next step. Um, but yeah, I just, I agree. Yeah. It would have been really silly, right? In like 2019, thinking ahead about mm. like, you know, three years from now, right? Like yeah. what we would be doing yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I think. It's often just like fun as well. I think it's like a good indication of like these things being worth it. Um, I think podcast to me definitely felt like as large part as a hobby when we began, yeah. and now it still like does. Yeah, um, but and I now it's it, drudgery. I think it's good. Yeah. yeah. So looking ahead, uh, what do you want the next fifty episodes to be? Do you have any virtual new features, <laughs> new features or formats you want to try? The metaverse, <laughs> indeed. Um, okay, here's one thing that we occasionally mm. chat about but never do. Mm. Something like a 10-minute slot at the end of an episode yeah. to reflect and just have a chat like we're doing now. Maybe that's a bit self-indulgent. 
but I don't know, we could at least try it. Yeah, I think a listener sent that in uh, as, a, mm. as a suggestion. I think we thought about it um, or at least toyed with the idea like beforehand as well. And I think mm. it's such good advice. I think the, the listener made a good point of like, it's really easy. And I noticed this myself as well, of, like having listened to like a really long like podcast that is like so information heavy. And then mm. as soon as I put down my phone, I like have completely forgotten like 90% of it. Yeah. Just having like a nice 10 minute summary. Yeah. From, like, go through the really bullet good. points. Yeah. There, there's um, a podcast I don't listen to like anymore, but I used to have called, I think like Make Me Smart, um, which was like two hosts who did that like very well at the beginning and at the end of like having this like debrief. Nice. And, um, I really enjoyed that. Nice. Okay. Maybe we should make a note to at least try it. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of advice, it seems good, but we don't take on until <laughs> Cool. What about multi-guest episodes? We've done at least we one. We did the ACE one, right? Yeah. With like a two-on-two. To be clear, animal charity evaluators. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like, it was sick. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think it's tricky. It's like um, tricky when both people are like explaining the same concept because then you're not only juggling like the questions thing, but mm-hmm. also the like who answers who and they're probably juggling the same like yeah, uh, coordination problem, like a little bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'd be down to try maybe in like more of a debate format or um, yeah, getting like people like getting guests to speak at each other rather than like um to us together or something maybe. I think Spencer Greenberg does this phenomenally well. Yeah, he's done it at least a couple times where you have this kind of adversarial setup where there'll be two guests representing two um somewhat polarized or at least very different worldviews, and Spencer will act as the moderator. Yeah. And the approach is the approach of an adversarial collaboration, if you've heard of this, which is something like trying to get clear on where you disagree yeah. rather than trying to persuade the other person. I like that a lot. Yeah, there's definitely something of the like um like prime minister question style or like this kind of like, you know, very structured. <laughs> when the crowds like yell. <laughs> yeah, that that I've like I remember like really enjoying when I was younger, now being like completely off by it. and some people mm. might still enjoy it like and enjoy it um a lot and maybe it's like valuable but i've yeah, yeah. like i think that like adversarial truth-seeking collaboration yeah, yeah, yeah. Of just finding cruxes is useful yeah i wonder if this kind of thing is just undersupplied in general which is like good faith patient debate like things mm. without a big audience without a lot of kind of point scoring but you kind of set up some you know comfortable environment you really take your time. The goal is not to persuade the other person with rhetoric, but rather you're kind of actually just trying to get clear on what are the yeah the like really key cruxes. Maybe you have a moderator who you both trust. I, I remember Spencer, I think, mentioned somewhere that before he does these kind of adversarial episodes, he'll make sure that the two guests um, just have a conversation about just random things beforehand. So yeah, that they yeah. at least have some kind of personal trust. I know it's like probably really, really hard, but yeah. Yeah, and probably it requires on like a good supply of guests as well, right? People who have yeah. like differing, you know, yeah. elaborate, like well explored, like worldviews, and are on board for like doing this, like um, yeah, 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 like um, epistemic truth seeking thing. Yeah, it's cool. But yeah, also good nudge for me to like listen to the Spencer Greenberg episode. Yeah, nice. Um, nice. Um, what about like episode themes? Yeah, that was an early one we wanted to do, which mm. would have been less an interview and more like. I don't know, like serial or these kind of like investigations. <laughs> we investigate a crime things. for yeah. three episodes. <laughs> right, but yeah, you, you, you would interview multiple guests on the same topic and then would slice it together and it would be a lot more like higher production value. Yeah. Um, but could potentially be good. I think like given that we clearly have gravitated towards like some themes in the past or like done some episodes, there's yeah. like maybe a repackaging of existing content mm. um, that I'm keen to do. But I don't know. I'm maybe personally more skeptical of like whether yeah. it's worth for us to do, but something I would like okay. to see in the world. Okay. What about, what about a... Lucro Guesty 
on solar radiation management. Mm. Big, big topics. What mm. about a Finn Morehouse on space governance? Yeah, nice half hour episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the, the, the point there being like um, for us to talk a bit more about our own research work and stuff, mm. which is nice. Yeah, like I think I've definitely found it useful using podcast episodes as like a way to combine research I'm doing like in my day job, like anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I've enjoyed that. There's this like just yeah. intrinsic nervousness I have about um, really actually not qualified to have opinions on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, tricky. One to explore, maybe one for us to like put on like a New Year's uh, to do list or something. That sounds right to me. Um, we don't need to rush yes. into that. Yeah. And then one thing I put down as well, which I really want to do, is like more crossover episodes with other podcasts. We mm. did the one with increments, but mm. I also think um, just chatting to podcasts on like different themes, and then like mm. hearing the hosts just like talk about um, yeah, yeah, yeah. things that they've learned and stuff could be really, really cool. Yeah. A good nice. way to connect any, different like listeners as well. Well, I think we'll, we'll get to podcast recommendations down a little bit, but um, the This Disease Might Kill You podcast with nice. Aaron and Aaron at the two co-hosts Aaron and Aaron. I really love. And I just personally really want to meet them. Um, so maybe this is like a I see what this is. Uh, it's a to, to email them. But yeah, we'll see. And cool. that's for what it's worth, it's all about like public health and they each episode explore like a different disease. Mm-hmm. Um and one of them talks about the science behind it, and one of them talks about like how it's impacted like humans uh, or like the world, awesome. uh, like throughout history. It's really good. That. It's really, really good. Um, in terms of future episodes, what about topics we haven't covered yet? What yeah. about dream guests? Speak to me. Yeah. Well, the big thing we haven't covered, if we call ourselves as an effective altruism podcast, is like AGI. Um, mm. I think we've kind of skirted around that topic. Mm-hmm. I think for me at least, it's like feels really stakesy and like high pressure to talk about ourselves but also to find like a guest to like intro aspects of it or something like i'm still not like super sure about how to convert that to podcast form um that seems right but yeah there's definitely stuff there it's hard to know how to chip away at such a big thing in some modular yeah. sense you know yeah, yeah it's like you have to just confront the entire thing in one episode and then who should we possibly yeah. speak to to do well, that if guests uh, sorry if if listeners have suggestions mm-hmm. for guests who you think would be like a good way to do this um yep. yeah like definitely let us know i think we're keen to do it but yep. um we i think talked about governance episodes like ai governance episodes for a bit and then we talked about ai safety episodes for a bit um yep. and i don't think we've like ever gotten around to, to yep. finding guests yep i think part of that at least on my part is laziness so yeah note to self let's get around to it mm. um yeah what, what what about for you well, I feel like you mentioned history episodes. Mm, yeah, I I really want to do an econ history series. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really good. Mm-hmm. And then there's like other bits just in history, which I think are like good case studies. Um, yeah. So like one way I've been thinking about this podcast like bigger is like, well, there's 80K that does like a lot of the like big mainstream like EA ideas. And like yeah. one niche that I really want to explore is like things that aren't strictly EA, but I think have important sure. like parallels and doing like deep dives into those. And yeah. I think history is just like a really good like topic for that. Where like mm-hmm. industrial revolution and like how does like economic growth work or something mm-hmm. clearly I think has like relevance for like progress studies or like some of like AGI like exploding stuff. And then there's like also these like dual use and like historical case studies of like how, you know, did we you know, how how did the world get to like mutually assured destruction like in the mm-hmm. 50s? Like how did that concept sure. emerge? And why didn't the US use nuclear weapons in Korea? Or like how did the biological weapons convention actually come about? Uh, like what's yeah, the history yeah, yeah. there? Like that's not strictly like an EA theme, but I think mm-hmm. it's like a cool like series we could do where we just talk to like an historian who's like really studied this topic. Yeah. One small example which stands out for me, which has been on my mind recently, is the history of quote-unquote nanotechnology yeah yeah i mean 
Eric Drexler is in the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like Jay Stores Hall, right? As well. They're like, where's my flying car car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one episode I want to do is on just like China in general. Uh-huh. Um, like better getting an understanding of like how to think about like China, maybe Chinese foreign policy. Um, but it feels like with a lot of like EA themes from like AGI to like animal welfare to, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like almost like anything, like it's clearly a big like, uh, like factor in the world and I want to like understand it better. And there's like the, the, the sino cynicism, mm-hmm. um, like sub stack, um, okay. which is like it? really good. And I want to, I, I want to chat to the guy. Nice. Yeah. Um, I would love to understand a bit more about how the worlds of progress studies and long-termist EA relate. Mm. We talked about that a bit with Jason, but there's a ton more to talk about. In particular, I would love to talk at some point, if we got the chance, to Tyler Cohen Mm. and understand how he thinks about these things, how he thinks about existential risk. I would love to talk about like degrowth at some point mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and maybe that is like a good way for like an adversarial like debate yeah. style um but the like degrowth and like progress studies thing like definitely in the last year or something like feel like such opposing like worldviews and really? i want to like either like steel man the case for like degrowth or like mm-hmm. just see two people like um find the like fundamental cruxes that i like, go against it yeah do you know that's actually what i had in mind when i was talking about oh right okay missions. so yeah that would be I think hard to do. I can imagine more ways that that goes wrong. Yeah. And it becomes this kind of really productive discussion. Maybe we can try and like never release. Roll the dice. Uh, yeah. If you So if you don't see this episode in the next year, it we did it and it went terribly. Well. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I want to see is like non-research episodes yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I think in some way, right, like we showcase either like a lot of like EA orgs or like EA like thinking and stuff. But there's like loads of stuff from like ops to strategy to... Uh, like whatever else, like mm-hmm. um, I guess we did with Habiba and like um, mm-hmm. like career advice and stuff as well. But I want to yep. see like more of like, well, if Just I want to make an organization, the world, like right? how do you do it? Uh, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. yeah. I want to like think about strategy. How do you do it? And like maybe offering some more like case studies of that would be cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, like random example, the lead exposure elimination project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a thing a couple of years ago. And now it's like making actual progress in yeah. getting rid of lead. <laughs> what happened between those two points like nuts and bolts you know how, yeah. do you, how do you actually do this I think that'd be really cool yeah and I think I think it's definitely this thing where like research is easy to have on podcasts mm-hmm. because it's ideas and like thinking and yeah. text yeah, and yeah. like whatever but yeah I, I'd be down to do like a lot more like maybe like either life stories or like project yeah. stories uh, yeah could be cool the 80k episode with Tara Macaulay yeah oh, such that a was good really one good. yeah nice love it okay Luca why do we do this podcast <laughs> <laughs> what's the theory of change yeah that's a big question I think it's like hard because I think we started it as a hobby mm-hmm. and now it is yeah. like a side project yeah. apparently for like impact reasons. Uh, it's <laughs> like difficult and hard to slot it in. But I think we, or like at least I think about it like in a few different ways. Um, there's like one way, which is just like we help get information to listeners mm-hmm. and you do an episode with a guest who you think has a like valuable um, bit of info that you want to get out. That then becomes difficult, though, because there are lots of other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they I often heard. interview the same people. Yep. And then you need to think about your counterfactual impact of how is this episode going to be yep. different to another episode. And you either do that by exploring very different themes mm-hmm. or by chatting to people who haven't done a podcast yet or like haven't done mm-hmm. many. Um, maybe, yeah, like aren't on that like podcast roster or something. But then there's also like a bigger gamble that you're taking with that as well because people 
aren't maybe as like comfortable doing it. Although I sure. actually think that's like way le a lesser concern than yeah, I thought I it would be. But I think that's like one. Um, the other one that we thought about is just like, I think, especially at the beginning, it's just like gradually showcasing mm. uh, like EA ideas or like mentioning EA orgs and like having some calls to actions there. Um, mm. I think that then somewhat overlapped with an idea of like, we include, we interview some EA people and some non-EA people, and then the non-EA guests will bring in their audience, the EA people will bring in their yep. audience, then we help yep. like, um, at least through like listener, like exactly. form or something, make connections. And then, yeah, I think like increasingly, I think I've been shifting towards like um, doing non-EA episodes per se, but having like relevant like information about the real world or um, mm. like historical case studies and stuff. And I think that's something I'm like keen to explore in the future in a way that maybe differentiates us from like ADK or like other episodes. Yep. Yeah. What about you? What about you? What's your theory of change pitch? <laughs> uh, it's just fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everything you said lines up with what I have in mind. There's something... I think part of what's going on is, at least it feels like, in this kind of broadly speaking EA land, yeah. people who are trying to figure out ways to do the most good, um, there's just a ton of really good, interesting ideas. There's a ton of really exciting projects and there's not enough time to write all these things down and to package them and share them yeah. and communicate them in a really effective way. That's a shame. That What that means is that there is this overhang of um, ideas that you and I would love more people to hear about. So part of what's going on is maybe just trying to help fix that and yeah. like find cool people and just kind of broadcast their way of thinking to more people. Seems good. One other thing, which is a bit optimistic, yeah, is this idea of finding um, like information, ideas at the periphery of, you know, what you might kind of point to and call effective altruism, which we think, you know, is worth more pe people hearing. And then... Um, hopefully sharing it with a kind of audience that already is into um, some part of EA. And in that sense, just expanding the like roster of ideas people can draw on. Um, so that, that's the kind of idea of just like boosting under underrated yeah, yeah. people. Um, what else have we missed? Yeah. And I think I think to that first point you, you said as well, I think there's something about like um, having a smaller like audience or like like a less established like reputation as ADK or something also just means you can like take more risks and maybe that's like something that we should like embrace more um but yeah I, th I think like the more serious take here is something like um uh you can also like interview people who haven't had like as maybe bigger track record or um mm -hmm. at least like mixed episodes right um, yep. of like lots of different types yeah, yeah, yeah. and like not have to worry too much about it being interesting to like a hundred thousand people um if it's going to be interesting to a yep. hundred people it's like still worth doing there's also like a personal theory of change, right? Which is mm. like, if it's a question of like, um, do I like read a book or do I listen to a podcast or like watch YouTube or something? Or do I like prepare for a podcast episode, which requires like often like these same things as well, but you're doing it knowing that you're going to have to like actually understand it because you're interviewing somebody mm. at the end. Like, I definitely think I like learn more um, mm. from it. And I think, yeah. um, again, to the degree that like um, episodes increasingly like line up with like our research interests or like people who we like meet through work or something as well. I yeah. think it forces me to like become a better like researcher yep. or uh, like a better learner or a better communicator or like what can I have you. Mm. And it's definitely helped me like I think with like other work mm. as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay, what next? Advice for other people. We've talked about how impactful all of this podcast stuff is. Uh, what if somebody wants to start their own podcast, Finn? What, what would you tell them? 
Good question. Um, I think you mentioned this earlier. Mm. I tried writing some some things down a while ago. That's on our website, actually. Hearthisidea.com. Ah. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Forward slash advice. Ah. Uh, it's also my website, which is myname.com slash writing slash podcast hyphen advice. finmorehouse.com, not myname.com. In case anybody got confused. <laughs> Good. Um, uh, that also links to some advice from Tyler Cowan and Rob Wiblin, which I think is um, really good as well. I guess one thing I might want to quickly say is some advice which we're clearly not taking, but it's something like if you just have an idea for, I don't know, like a five episode series yeah. that focuses on some incredibly niche topic that might not be interesting uh, to an incredibly wide audience. Um, it, in some sense, that's like, yeah. that's great. That's kind of what the internet was made for. Like the world of podcasts is, is easily big enough to for those kinds of things to make sense. That maybe links to just like a general thing of like not worrying too much and like you'll kind of learn as you like go along yeah. and like having five episodes, two episodes or just even one episode is like infinitely more than not having any episodes. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think like starting small and then like seeing how it goes and like trying things out is good. Yeah. There's um, a Kevin Kelly essay called A Thousand True Fans, which I'm sure you can find just by Googling, which I think speaks to some of this. So yeah, it might, yeah. might be worth uh, reading. Nice, yeah. And also like just email people, right? Like yeah. I think that was like still super surprising to us when we started out is like um, gradually like finding out like how many people were like willing to come onto the mm -hmm. show and stuff without us really having a track record yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were like a lot of rejections or like a lot of like yeah. people just never like replied uh, like either um, mm -hmm. like I definitely remember um, uh, like yeah having sent like loads and loads of emails that never got any response but like eventually you'll hit on some people mm -hmm. and um, if you like spend like half a day just like shooting out <laughs> emails um, yeah. you'll you'll hear back from some people yeah. uh, and then you, you do that yeah. if it's like brief and polite there's just no downside yeah Okay, and speaking of new podcasts, other people potentially exploring things like this, for anyone who's listened through all of our rambling so far, we should at least kind of mention that we have some plans to maybe set up something like a grants program or at least some way of just supporting new podcasts that are focused on, you know, ideas that seem to seem to matter or important problems. So Details still being ironed out. Not 100% it'll it'll go ahead, but watch this space, hopefully in the next few weeks, for some kind of um, grants program. Mm. Very exciting. Um, do you want to move on to media recommendations? Mm -hmm. Cool. So I guess we ask uh, guests at the end of every episode what three books or other bits of media they would recommend. Yep. Do you want to have a go answering that question? Let's take it in turns. Okay. Okay, here's an obvious one. It is not a book. Um, it's a series of blog posts mm. by, in some sense, your boss. This is the uh, Most Important Century blog post series, which I'm sure you can find just by Googling what I just said. Yeah, and it's hard to summarize. Um, so fortunately, I can just read the blurb. Um, so it says, this series of blog posts argues that the 21st century can be the most important century ever for humanity via the development of advanced AI systems that could dramatically speed up scientific and technological advancement, getting us more quickly than most people imagine to a deeply unfamiliar future. Now, I love the points that Holden goes over are kind of um, 
at least, you know, ideas that might be somewhat familiar if you're kind of steeped to some extent in long-termist EA talk and AI talk. Um, but nonetheless, I remember reading that on a long flight and I, you know, started mm. at the start of the flight and by the end of the flight, I'd finished. The world felt significantly weirder when I walked out of the plate compared to yeah, when yeah. I went in. And I love that kind of book. Yeah, so good. Nice. I, I want to tag on uh, a few things to that, which is Holden also has some really good, I think, just like research advice things for like early career researchers. So I think two blog posts I want to like pull out is learning by writing mm-hmm. and useful vices for wicked problems. Yeah. Um, which I think tangibly made my like research 5% better. I will go out and, That's and huge. Play. It's that huge. huge. Um, yeah, I think like both because just like understanding that even like really senior researchers or people thinking about these problems just like procrastinate a lot and that's yep. like part of the process and part of it is like kind of like being frustrated or um, like falling out of love with questions and stuff. And the yep. other thing of just like actively um, having like a discourse like in your head but like on the page like just makes things better and like if you start writing um, or just at least have a record of like yep. what you were thinking, it's like really useful. So I think both of these things were like really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love those posts. I guess I should say, if you only have time to read one post in this series I mentioned, there's a post called This Can't Go On, mm. which explains exactly that title. Nice. That great. Okay, so my first book recommendation is, it was actually featured on on the show, but Spencer Watts, The Discovery of Global Warming. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I really like this book. I just think I like clearly enjoyed it more than uh, like the average person. But I think it's like twofold. I think like one it is interesting just seeing how science works. And I think this is just a good like history of science like thing with a clear case study of like, how yeah. do people think about the climate in the 1800s or even in the 1950s? And then yeah. how like bit by bit did like people collaboratively work uh, to like reach the understanding that's like mm. way more nuanced like now. And like often it's like people just wanting to prove other people wrong. <laughs> and I think like one of the like really useful lessons I took about that for myself is like, if I'm completely wrong on this, like research report I'm writing or something or paper I'm writing, that is fine. Like it will piss off somebody enough to write a counter to her that that is like part of the like method or something. There's a word for that, right? The something effect? I don't know. I don't Wait. know. But if you, if you have the word, like let's, let's add I'm going to make a guess in Google. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's the other thing that I think I really took away from it, which is um, the it. world is like really complicated and people like everybody has like takes or like uh-huh. at least a sense that they understand how the climate works and like learning just like an actual like like book about it like the actual science and stuff I learned just like how much I thought I knew versus like how much I actually knew was like so different like I had no right, idea about like right. air pollution like actually offsetting a good chunk of like warming that humans do um, I had no idea like what radiative forcing was or like why that was like tangibly important. Yeah. Um, I had no idea like how what actually the difference were between like super pollutants and like uh-huh. CO2 and like how like spectrums and stuff matter. I think you just learn how like complicated stuff is and uh-huh. why it's like understandable that people 50 years ago didn't really yeah, understand yeah, things. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. because they were like stupid or like ignorant. It was like we were just like on the like edge of like actual human knowledge. Yeah. Um, and that I think like really hit home across like, a I bunch like of things. That. Not gonna lie. I don't know what any of those things are either. <laughs> um, also, Cunningham's Law. Okay, nice. The best way to get the right answer on the internet is not to ask a question, <laughs> is to post the wrong answer. Nice, that is funny. And yeah. maybe that applies more generally. It reminds me of like the Thomas Monaghan episode a little bit. Yeah, as well, yeah, of, like yeah, It's yeah. a history of X, right? And yeah. I, I think I actually just like really enjoyed those. Um, mm. But yeah. yeah and also, also the like, discovery of global warming. That is a good example of asking this question like how on earth could we not have understood that the world could end and yeah. maybe we could be the ones who end it and maybe we have some control over that yeah and then if you kind of piece by piece just like 
yeah, I guess unlearn, disassemble yeah. the like cognitive machinery that we now have. It kind of becomes a bit more. I think it teaches you a lot of like epistemic humility. Yeah, um, but, I yeah. feel that. I feel uh, that. Do you want to give book number two? Um, yeah, I don't know how to summarize this either, but and it's a slightly pretentious recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this book, Girdle Escher Buck, um, by Doug Hofstadter, and it's just Samuel Zurium is is a a word that ah, applies to this book. Oh, cool. It's like this incredibly nerdy, incredibly meticulous, incredibly creative, kind of long um, nonfiction book that's trying to tell some kind of overlapping stories about language, about, um, I guess, AI, um, and also about um, foundations of maths, which is where the girdle part comes from. Mm. And it's got like dialogues between like animals in there. It's got these like incredible illustrations. Um, it's not like I finished it and felt like I'd learned anything that is like really e easy to kind of relate. Yeah, yeah. But just as a just unbelievably delightful and rich um, and like incomparable book. So good. I love yeah, it so yeah. much. Oh, also, I have a story <laughs> about the book, which is I found a copy in a secondhand bookstore um and bought it and it's just like dilapidated kind of um paperback version from the 80s and in in the front inside cover there's a name and a date which was um the date was 1984 or something i google the name just in case and it lines up with this philosopher who i'd been reading who's like a philosopher of mind and so i emailed him saying i don't suppose you own this book and it was him wow and not only that but he was best friends with my then supervisor when they were um studying in the states together yeah um and yeah i've just been like reading a ton of his stuff that's it's a really nice that's so small cool. world moment nice cool okay something else okay this is very bleak uh, and like kind of disclaimer warning <laughs> but svetlana alexevich's chernobyl prayers mm -hmm. so the reason why i want to recommend that is i often find it hard to like emotionally right like internalize like uh, global catastrophic risks or like X risk and like the human suffering uh, mm -hmm. that I think like underlies like a lot of like work um, within effective altruism. But I think this book mm -hmm. does like a really good job of like painting kind of like the human uh, picture there. It's basically she just like goes around like interviewing a lot of people who were there at like Chernobyl, um, either like um, firefighters who, um, you know, were um, uh, like digging in the rubble and uh, a lot of whom like got cancer and mm -hmm. um other people like evicted from their house and stuff. And it just tells like a really like detailed human story. She's literally just like interviewing people. And it's just yeah. like a collection of uh, like lots and lots of stories. And I think I've tried reading it like three times and I've never wow. made it to the end. Seriously? Because uh, just because it's something like really gets me. Like I ball up and I get really yeah. sad. But if I like try to like internalize like what yeah. I guess like risk or this suffering is, I, I often like pull to like stories or like anecdotes in there. And there's I think like wow. an important like thing to say as well, which is um, like Chernobyl wasn't in, in like the grand scheme of things, like a disaster that like ended the world. Mm. Um, but for the people like it affected, it clearly like ended their worlds in like many, many ways. And I think mm. that book like really captures that. And I think like a really like emotional way that I think like a lot of like other histories I've read of things um, doesn't do. I've heard the TV show yeah. is also really good um, and is, is maybe worth Ocean checking out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that book okay, is really cool. good. She's also written one about um, like women's experiences of war mm -hmm. and the fall of communism. Yes. So that's secondhand time. Secondhand time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Both of I'm which are really war. good as well. But I would recommend Chernobyl Prayer. Cool. Uh, I should read that. One thing that made me think of, which I wasn't going to mention, but and I'm not even sure should count as a recommendation because it's just 
like straightforwardly unenjoyable to watch. Mm. But this film threads from the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I think it was commissioned by the BBC, and it's a it's a narrative film, so it's you know obviously fictional. The premise is the film begins just before a nuclear exchange, and a um, uh, nuclear bomb is dropped just outside Sheffield, where the film is set. And the rest of the film is the aftermath of mm. um, this uh, nuclear event. And it's trying to hew quite close to the line of what might realistically happen. And there is just no, like, redemption. There's no kind of, like, thread of hope. It's yeah. incredibly bleak. Oh, my God. So, yep, not enjoyable. <laughs> and but one of the most affecting films, I guess, I've watched recently. Yeah. And it just left me with this, like, the thing that's very hard to get from, you know, reading through yeah, yeah, yeah. numbers, which is that visceral yeah, kind of it. aversion to this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is especially important when you're talking about, you know, risks which haven't materialized yet. So. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. What, what's your what's your third recommendation? Okay. Um, and then we can maybe rattle off a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I want to recommend Reasons and Persons, mm. which is the kind of cliche like EA philosophy <laughs> to some extent. Yeah, I think it's hard to understate how much groundwork Parfit laid out for um big chunks of philosophy that gets associated with, you know, long-termism and effective altruism now. The story, incidentally, of Reasons and Persons, at least the apocryphal story, is that he was um, at All Souls College, um, where he had really kind of free reign to work on what he wanted, which involved him starting um, lots of papers, but not quite meaning the uh, level of output that All Souls wanted. So they stationed intervention, they said... Derek, um, you know, don't push your luck. We'd quite like to see some output at some point. And that's when he started on Reasons and Persons and wrote, um, like I mentioned, unarguably the uh, greatest work of ethics in the century. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good one. I will say it definitely looks just like an intimidating read. I mean, I don't yeah. have like a philosophy background uh, like at all. And I'm like scared to like, yeah. pick it up and read it. Is there anything like words of advice you'd give to me as like somebody with like no like background in, in analytical philosophy? I would say, although each chapter, I think, is hard to read quickly, I think it's probably okay just to pick the chapters that seem most interesting. Okay. Because they're somewhat modular. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, maybe go for that. Nice. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to say one of the most memorable threads that goes through reasons and persons um, is this theme of personhood. So roughly the question of um what it means to be the same person now as as the person you'd call Luca in 2015 yeah, yeah um and also why that matters and yeah i think part of what happens is you kind of it feels like we have a very obvious and kind of defensible conception of what a person is what makes the same person identical through time and also why that kind of identity relation like really matters morally but Puffet does this job of kind of like picking away at this this feeling we have that there is in fact like a really kind of obvious like definition here yeah, yeah. and that it matters. And I think, yeah, by the end with all these different like thought experiments of like splitting your brain into and like fissioning as a person. Yeah, at least I ended up with this sense that personal identity matters morally 
a lot less than maybe what I thought um, before I read the book. And that's a kind of, I think like a quite a nice, like liberating thought, because it just means that, you know, if you started off thinking you have strong reasons only to care about yourself, then um, at least on certain kind of lines of thinking, you end up extending that or kind of having to extend that to other people. Yeah. You want to be like principled and coherent. And in particular, there is this wonderful uh, quote some point in the book where Puffett talks about his experience of kind of going through these arguments. I'll read it out. Um, so this is the quote. My life seemed like a glass tunnel through which I was moving faster every year and at the end of which there was darkness. When I changed my view, the walls of my glass tunnel disappeared. I now live in the open air. Nice. Isn't that nice? That's very beautiful. Nice. So my last book recommendation is uh, a short essay by George Orwell called Politics in the English Language. The like TLDR is like when language seems like vague or meaningless, there's a good chance that it is purposefully vague or meaningless to like hide mm -hmm. the truth yeah. rather than to, to express it. And I think it's like made me just like uh, a much better like bullshit detector. Yeah. I think often like yeah, yeah, yeah. when having like maybe interface with like politics and stuff in the past, um, I think it like helps towards that, but also just towards like day-to-day -day work. Like I think yeah. it's like a clear way to like be able to like tell even in yourself of like, well, when do you actually like know something or convey something? It's like often when you express it in much clearer terms than when you're kind of like waffling around. Uh, and if anything, I think like has good lessons about like how to write and stuff. Um, yeah, and I really like, I also just like really rate George Orwell as like a nonfiction writer. Um, we often like think about him um, mm. in terms of like 1984, which by the oh, way, yeah. has a whole different reading if you come at it with the like language is the key mm. instrument and stuff, then yeah. communism is bad thing. I think you actually get a lot more out of the book with with that kind of in mind. But also just in general, like he is such a witty, like satirical writer. And I think, so I immigrated to the UK when I was like young mm. and I think like he often captured like UK, like middle class culture to me in a way that yeah, like, other people yeah, hadn't yeah. in like satirizing the like middle class socialists and mm. uh, like stuff like that, I thought was like really cool. And then also just like, yeah, like, he just had an insane life. He lived in poverty in Paris. He fought in the like Spanish Civil War. Yeah. He just wrote these like kind of memoirs and stuff. And they're really, yeah. really good. Um, it was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strong, strong <laughs> plus one. I love that essay. Um, and again, yeah, the kind of bullshit detector yeah. gets ramped up by yeah. reading it. Um, and I emphasize like definitely like bullshit within yourself. Like I catch myself mm -hmm. like all the time mm -hmm. now um, when I clearly like don't know what I'm on about and then yeah. I like waffle and that's like a good, a yeah. good indicator. Yeah. Stephen Pinker has this book, The Sense of Style, mm. which does this a little bit as well. Just for instance, looking out for when I use inverted commas for things I really don't need to use inverted commas for, right, but I'm kind yeah, of hedging. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it very well may be the case. No, I'm just like making a claim here. Yeah, right? yeah. It can be wrong. Um, but yeah, the OLS essay is the best place to start. Also, I um, agree that his essays are way underrated compared to his fiction. Yeah, I think it's so much better than his fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah controversial claim i'm making here. that's that's huge but <laughs> you're gonna say it nice okay cool that was your i guess third book recommendation mm. but i want more maybe you could, uh, <laughs> maybe we could just rattle off some some other recommendations a bit quicker yeah yeah well i i always love like seeing other people's like mm -hmm. to read and yeah, yeah, yeah. like to listen to this i think often because it's like a little bit uh hit and miss but i'll try uh and like rattle off some things so i really like history as mm -hmm. some people might have heard so some history podcasts i love uh mike duncan's revolutions podcast it is insane to me that this stuff is like free, but he recently right, finished right. like, I think it's a, it's over a hundred episodes on like the Russian revolution over the course of three years that Whoa. he would like release on a weekly basis. Um, 
And it was just like insane. It was like before the pandemic began and now like after the pandemic or at least like lockdown is like somewhat finished. But it's like great. And he's done that for the Russian revolution. He's done it for the Haitian revolution. He's done it on like so many things. But wow. I, I get like a lot out of that. Um, so I'll, I'll try and keep it briefer. Then there's um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, yep. which is such a weird mix. I haven't heard like another podcast like that where it's like, pod, like episodes come out like once every few months. Mm. When they come out, they're like four hours long. They're like semi-scripted where like he's yeah. clearly done all the research before, like he knows what he's going to say, but it's not like an audiobook. Like it yeah. feels much more conversational. Um, but the spe uh, specific series I would recommend is about um, what I plugged in like something I want to do an episode on, which is how like nuclear norms formed in like the yeah. 1940s and 50s. It's phenomenal. Like this was, I listened to this before I got into EA and it made me terrified about the world ending just because of how Great. arbitrary it is. Uh, <laughs> and like how much of it is like the right person in the right room, like stops mm -hmm. the world from ending. Um, but really, really great. Then Alice Evans' Rocking Up Priors. Um, I only recently started listening to this, but it's a lot more focused on uh, like feminist history uh, or at least like viewing history through like a feminist lens. And it's actually just cool. like really, really good. And I've like learned a ton and I'm excited to learn more. Um, in terms of other podcasts, Brad DeLong and Noah Smith's Hexapodia yes. uh, for the Econ Stands. Um, and then I still, like a guilty pleasure of mine is like still listening to finance podcasts uh, every now and then. Uh -huh. And the two things I would recommend is like, Bloomberg's Odd Lots is like the mainstream. And I think the yeah. like hardcore impressive one is uh, Eric Townsend's Macro Voices. Um, right. But if you're into finance, those are like my two okay. recommendations, basically. Uh, if you're not into finance, I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to get into it. I thought um, the um, <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed's Odd Lots. Odd Lots one, yeah. That was, was very, very fun. Yeah. Oh, and then the last thing I mentioned at the top um, when we're still chatting was Erin and Erin's uh, This Disease Might Kill You. It's like yeah, really great. Yeah, yeah. And it taught me a lot about public health, cool. which I didn't know before. And diseases in biology are really weird. I didn't know mm. that before. Uh, so that's podcast. For YouTube channels, I really like Extra History, which is like a short, like animated, um, uh, like series of like history videos. Extra also, History. Extra History. Okay. Uh, I also really like ContraPoints, um, which is mm. these like video essays about uh, like politics and a lot of like um, like cultural stuff, uh, which I really like. Uh, Kurzgesagt is the I've heard of uh, it. animated series, which I really enjoy. And then there's probably like um, treading toes onto like your list, but like Three Blue, One Brown and Primer yeah, are both like really good like animated so good. things as well about so like good. maths and, and social science-y stuff. Um, I really like, I find it really therapeutic to watch Sebastian Lag's like how he makes like video games yeah. uh, channel. And something really similar is like Sucker Pinch, which has this like great, okay. I think two hour long thing about like how can you create chess engines that like follow really <laughs> stupid rules, yeah. but like are weirdly good. like you know, what's better, like a, a chess engine that like tries to convert all its pawns or like something that tries to um, like take pieces every time uh, it can and stuff. And it's like interesting nice. just seeing like how bad algorithms like compete against each other. <laughs> and then Patrick H. Williams for film essays and Mila Lay for fashion is also really Mila good. Mila Lay. Uh, yeah, uh, those are my YouTube recommendations. Luca, can you spell Kyrgyzstan? Don't, uh, don't look at the screen. Uh, K-U-R-Z- G E S A G D uh, G T. Yeah. Wow, your yeah. prize will be in the post. Thank you. That's Thank incredible. You. That's my my um, German parents. The, yeah, the German edge. <laughs> <laughs> what um, about you, Finn? Yeah, maybe I can rattle through some books and try to be quick. So, um, another book which feels kind of hard to summarize, but incredibly generative, is The Beginning of Infinity. Mm. David Deutsch. That was so so much fun. A book that pieces together 
um, interviews, a bit like Chernobyl Prayers that you mentioned. Mm. So it's literally just like this collage of other people talking. Is this book called Valley of Genius, which is a history of Silicon Valley and is like kaleidoscopic and fun. Um, in a similar vein, there's a book called The Dream Machine, which is a biography of someone called JCR Licklider, oh. who I had not heard of before, but turns out is this kind of Forrest Gump-like figure in the history of personal computing. And um, that might not sound <laughs> great, but it's just like such a well-written book. Um, Sagan's Pale Blue Dots is just awesome. Uh, there's a book called The Death and Life of Great American Cities, which uh, when I was on a kind of urbanism kick, I thought was just awesome. There's a collection of like little thought experiments and short stories about philosophy of mind called The Mind's Eye, where I is the letter I. Um, again, hard <laughs> to summarize, but awesome. Um, well, it's also a book called Bury the Chains about, uh, I guess, the history of abolitionism with a focus mm. on the UK. Nice. And that is a crazy story. Um, cool. Maybe... We mentioned a film as well. Yeah. The film Hoop Dreams. Yes. Reliably makes me cry. <laughs> um, yeah, have you seen it? Yeah, I have. I have yeah. Nice. Well, it's like, like a uh, like a drama, but like yeah. weirdly like a real life drama, right? Yeah. Where like the actual like um, success and failure in these like sports games will determine mm. their like life trajectory yeah. um, in like really stark ways. Like if, I got like very anxious watching it, uh, like yeah, with the games yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end and stuff. Um, yeah. Man. It's a good film. Um, all right. What about, tell me about how how you read, like how you yeah. consume. So know. I guess like the big thing I think I've like learned this year, just because this year I've like basically just been working on, on like mm. climate change uh, or like climate change adjacent stuff is like cluster reading is really good. Um, uh -huh. I think I found it like, good reading just like on one kind of topic for like a prolonged series of okay. months or so just reading. Is that what cluster reading is? Like you have a topic. I think that's what it is. I might be like completely okay. like misusing it. But yeah, like you find a like uh, a topic and then you like read a cluster of like books around her um, yeah. and like different interpretations. Like a lot of it mm -hmm. is repetitive, but you can skip the repetitive stuff. And then I think yeah. you like pick up on like a lot more like nuances and it hits the messages home and you, I think like develop your own view. I think like a lot better. And mm -hmm. I've like found that at least for research purposes more useful. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like describe that as how I read like fiction or like books for enjoyment right. and stuff. Yeah. But um yeah, I think like for research it's been like actually nice. really good being being like more that. focused. Do you take notes when you read? I mean for research. Yeah. I try to. I highlight uh nice. almost like everything nice. I read. I find that like useful. And then I have uh, if I have a Kindle, like I copy like these things into like notes yep. and stuff. I don't do it as much as I should. I think part of the nice thing about cluster reading is I then like think about it more. Yeah. Um and I have something in my head, which I will then like through work try to like write down. Um, mm -hmm. But I think highlighting is like a big shout, um, okay. especially when it comes to like revisiting things. I think it's pretty good. Nice. Well, well what about you? I don't feel like I can offer useful advice because <laughs> I'm quite bad at reading. Um, my only life-saving advice is audiobooks. Nice. Love them. You can just feel endless chore walking. Yeah, time, yeah. Uh, and feel like you're learning something. And I actually feel like my retention is probably the same if not slightly better for nice. for audiobooks for whatever reason my guess is there's just some variation there between people but mm. yep love it i want to plug uh scribd as well because audible oh, yeah. has like i guess like the biggest like audiobook like mm -hmm. share but scribd is really good as well and it's more like sure. netflix where you pay like a monthly fee and then you can listen to like whatever you want uh -huh. um, like within that month and they have a 90-day free trial so hello i'm just saying okay and this episode was sponsored <laughs> um <laughs> That would be a clear, like, 
landmark when we have our first like audio sponsor, right? Like I hope we our never first audible segue get sponsored. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This was, um, I don't know if I like pitched this to you, but this was like a thing I was like toying with as our 50th episode special is like us just doing like fake ad reads. <laughs> <laughs> That's so like dumb. a compilation of. That's so dumb. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's figure out how to wrap up. Nice. Well, this was great. I guess mm-hmm. we'll speak again in 50 episodes. Good. <laughs> see, you see you then. See you then. All right. <laughs>